Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in Game Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. My name is Rudolf Inderst, the host of the channel. And today we'll be talking to Robert Horton, the editor of a new Game Studies volume called Teaching the Middle Ages Through Modern Games. Before we jump right in, though, I want to let you know that if you like our show, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the audio platform of your choice, and share this episode with your friends. And now, back to the show. Games can act as invaluable tools for the teaching of the Middle Ages. The learning potential of physical and digital games is increasingly undeniable at every level of historical study. These games can provide a foundation of information through their stories and worlds. They can also foster understanding of complex systems through their mechanics and rules. Their very nature requires the player to learn the progress. And, dear listeners, I promise we are about to learn so much more about them. Robert, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Rudolf. I'm very very happy to be here. Thank you. Hmm. Um, I wonder if you could begin the interview or our talk by telling us a bit about yourself, of course, including your favorite game and the one or even the ones you are playing right now. Brilliant. Okay, well, yes, I'm a a lecturer at the University of Winchester um, over in the UK. I teach mainly about early medieval history, uh, looking at Italy and the Central Middle Ages in particular, looking looking at cities, churches, and so forth. But... A lot of my research, a lot of my my more recent research has started to look at computer games, in particular looking at how 
how history, how the Middle Ages in particular gets represented within computer games, gets represented in games more generally. So I've worked with a few a few games companies, and most notably I'm credited on Crusader Kings. And I organise a number of events, including most most significantly, I suppose, the Middle Ages in Modern Games Twitter conference with associated proceedings and, and other events. I suppose more importantly, though, um, well, at the moment I'm playing I'm playing Attila Total War. I've gone I've gone back to a game from 2015 there. Um, I'm very much enjoying crushing crushing the Western Roman Empire currently, as as the marauding Visigoths, but also um, the quieter end of the spectrum. I've been playing Foundation, so a lovely a lovely city building game from Polymorph Games. It's beautiful. Um, it's it's almost ready for release, I believe. So that the beta is still still glorious um in terms of favorite games i'm going to have to go very vanilla here and go immediately back to civilization it's it's certainly the game that's been with me the longest certainly the game i keep going back to in one way shape or form um i suppose perhaps well not really controversially but um alpha centauri was was perhaps my favorite of the series even though it's not really a civ game but anyway sorry (laughs) (laughs) No worries here. Now, it seems to me that the educational power of games is particularly strong within the study of the uh, Middle Ages. And these games act as the first or most substantial introduction of the period for many, many students and can therefore influence their understanding of the era. Within the classroom, they can be deployed to introduce new and alien themes to students typically unfamiliar with the subject matter swiftly and efficiently. They can also strengthen an interest in and understanding of the medieval world through various innovative means and hence act as a key educational tool. So I wonder, Robert, um, please tell us then, how did you come to write teaching the Middle Ages through modern games? Brilliant. Well, this yeah, this goes back a, a fair way. It goes almost all the way back to when I started my undergraduate degree. Um, one of my well, one, a student taking history alongside me. I they, they they well, it emerged they got interested in history. They got interested in medieval history through through playing computer games, through playing well, medieval Total War, which I appreciate gives you some idea of how old I am here. They got through yeah, got interested in medieval history through games. And this was something I encountered again and again during my studies. And when I started teaching back in 2009, I started asking my students, well, how did you get interested in history? And a lot of the time it was through games. Back in 2009, um, Assassin's Creed was, was a big driver there. And beyond that, it became very apparent quite quickly that a number of students had been influenced by computer games in particular, but by games in general, in how they think about the past, how they thought about medieval history. So one student in particular um, was using some very insistent terminology when writing about the investiture contest, this conflict between Pope and Emperor in the Central Middle Ages, and he kept referring to religious authority. And it took me a while to figure this out. This is a term that was drawn more or less directly from Crusader Kings. 
or Crusader Kings 2 rather. And he kept using, he was talking, his, his entire essay was more or less about the mechanics developed through Crusader Kings. And don't get me wrong, it was a brilliant essay. Um, he'd done all the background research, he'd used his primary sources, he'd slotted it into all the secondary materials, but ultimately it came down to the game. This volume then, this volume emerged out of a, a conference strand at the International Medieval Congress at Leeds in 2019. This is a big annual conference. I think it's the, the largest gathering of medievalists in Europe every year. And this strand was about games for teaching, impact and research. And we had, in, in that strand, we had, well, we had nine, nine papers across three sessions. And it became very apparent there was a huge amount of interest in using games for teaching. So this is something we see relating to every period of history. There's been some excellent work by Jeremiah McCall, there's some older but still excellent work by Kevin Key, a whole range of different authors talking about how computer games, how board games can be used for teaching. And it's something I've been messing about with for, for a number of years now, just informally using games, using play within classes. And this was the thing, there was relatively little formal work has been conducted looking at the use of games specifically for teaching about the Middle Ages or about medieval elements. So this volume, well, the core of the volume came came out of the conference, a number of the chapters um, by David Devine, Mike Horswell, Anna, and well, the rest of our collaborators over at the Ionian University, and Mariana Lopez, they, they all presented at the conference, and the volume just grew and, well, grew quite monstrously out of out of that initial core yeah well this is actually an excellent answer since it really circles back to my next question um i would just want to ask because your volume presents a series of essays addressing the practical use of games of all varieties as teaching tools within medieval studies and related fields and in doing so i think it provides examples of the use of games at pre-university undergraduate and postgraduate levels of study and really considers the application of commercial games, development of bespoke historical games, the use of game design as a learning process, and use of game outside the classroom. So you get the full package as a reader here. Um, would you uh, please take us on a little more deep dive regarding your editing and selection process here for what kind of contributions were you were you hoping actually to or looking for originally and were you surprised by the by the sheer uh, variety of, of of final essays you were you, you were actually receiving then in comparison to your to your to your thoughts in when you were writing the the call for chapters Yes, absolutely. Um, well, this was the thing. So, uh, like I said, we, we started off with this this small call from the conference, um, and well, as as you've as you've kind of implied there, that the goal was always to have a very broad coverage because there's so many different ways you can use use games of all descriptions at so many different levels of teaching. Very quickly, it became apparent we could never have something that was completely comprehensive because there's so many different approaches here. But yeah, we tried to we tried to go broad in in a number of ways. So as as you say, we we looked at various different approaches. So yeah, using using commercial games perhaps as a as the easiest entry level um, option or the most practical, most immediately practical way to use games to engage with history. 
So there's plenty of work that's been been done on this, but within within the volume in particular, Mike Horswell and David Devine talking about using well Assassin's Creed and the Elder Scrolls as a means to engage students with well either historical theory in Mike's case or um, David's David's work with Elder the Elder Scrolls looks more at using yeah using using sorry using the Elder Scrolls games to approach some historical theory. And this is the thing, it's it's perhaps the easiest way to use games to engage with learning because, well, the, the games already exist. So you have to secure access to the games for students, which obviously throws up some practical issues. But it it's something it's something that is relatively straightforward to do without having any any deeper knowledge of how games function, how games are produced. Um, beyond that, I want, we wanted to include games that were, were created, that were custom built for teaching purposes. So this is um, yeah, Cleo, Anna, and various other contributors, um, Owen, Owen Gottlieb and Sean Clybor as well, um, talking about how they how they make. Yeah, we wanted to have a section looking at games that have been created solely for for teaching purposes so it's a little bit more involved here perhaps it's something that it's a bit harder to walk into but it's perhaps a or more interesting a deeper way of engaging with the past or at least a different way we also wanted to talk about um, using how we can use modding for teaching so making students change the rules so how yeah use, using yeah basically using students own ideas to create to create games beyond that we wanted to look at how games can be used outside the classroom we wanted to look at different sorts of games so board games computer games um various card games in there as well and yeah across all levels of study so just how can each of these ideas be applied um and beyond that across a range of regions and periods with a range of different learning outcomes of a range of different plans and on top of all that we wanted to include some bits and pieces about theory um and why why games are so important and that was very very handily provided by Eve Sterling and Jamie Wood there so basically the the idea was to produce something very broad and ideally with plenty of practical examples, as I say, spanning a broad range of history, a broad range of regions, having lots of very specific examples, but having the broad process be one that could be applied relatively easily to other periods of history, to other games. Yeah. Um, so, I was wondering... Uh, taking a look at the uh, authors, then I came across uh, the great Nico Holden, and um, most of our listeners are well be aware that um, I'm located in Germany. So I was wondering um, whether are you in uh, some form of contact with the uh, so-called working group Historical Science and Digital Games, or in German. Arbeitskreis Geschichtswissenschaft und digitale Spiele, since you were also quoting the great Nico Holden in one of your chapters. And uh, for all our listeners, I'd like to add the info that the mentioned working group, and I quote here, is the central point of contact in the German-speaking world for researchers, teachers, and other interested parties who work at the intersection of history, history, didactics, game studies, cultural studies, and political science 
Of course, I have to put a tiny disclaimer in here. I'm also a member of this working group. So, uh, but back to you and Nico Holden. No, absolutely. Well, this is the thing. Um, I've not not really worked with Nico, but I'm, I'm familiar with his work. I'm familiar with the work of a, a number of the other members of the group. So Eugene Fister, um, apologies for, for butchering all pronunciations. I really ought to have practiced. Um, <laughs> it's okay. But, but um, Catherine, Felix, and a whole, a whole um, yeah, I, I've been making be making an effort to get to become familiar with with the work of the group um i've had i've worked more closely with with a number of the members of the group in particular lucas bock um who co-organized and co well, co-sponsored our our sessions at the leeds international medieval congress in 2021 um Peter Faberbock as well um, has, be, has been a regular attendant at our, our lead strands. We've had a number of other members of the group who've have joined us um, at the Middle Ages in Modern Games Twitter conference and well, the lead strand as well, but various other events. And Perhaps, well, Tobias Winnerling, of course, I've, I've known since I think 2015 at a conference in Gothenburg. We just got talking about, well, our games important, and yes, yes, they were. And this, this is the thing; it's, it's a really important, it's a really important group. And I'm, I'm glad you've given me an opportunity to, well, to advertise them, I suppose, because they're, they're, it's a group that's producing a huge amount of incredibly important work. And this is particularly important, I think, for for us, for, for English speaking scholars of historical games, because. To be completely honest with you, English authors don't tend to read book works that aren't produced in English. And this is a major problem. This is a major shortcoming because, as I've said, your group's doing a huge amount of very important work. And very often it's going in different directions. It's exploring different aspects from the sorts of things we tend to see within the Anglophone approaches. Um, it was Felix's, yeah, Felix's edited volume, History and Games, with Martin Lorber. I thought this was this was a really important attempt to, well, to incorporate English speaking and Germ Germanic, sorry, German um, authors into into a single volume. I mean, the, the chapters did quite kind of somewhat underline the fact that the English speakers weren't really engaging with, with German scholarship, and to a lesser extent, the German speakers weren't engaging as strongly with the English scholarship. But it's a it's a heroic effort. It's a really important book. And on a more personal note here, um, yes, yeah, sorry, in relation to the Middle Ages in computer games, the the first monograph about this subject is Heinz is his Mittelalter Computerspiel, and um, back in twenty back in twenty fourteen I think, and this is this is incredibly detailed and incredibly good work which we just haven't well which most English speakers haven't engaged with because it's not available but I think it's 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 increasingly important to engage with work in German and work in French Italian any other languages that we can conceivably stretched to so yeah it's, it, i mean it's really funny because um d when you um just take a look at um the author's index and you see all these names and you know you tend to know or i tend to know them ah i've seen this one before on twitter i've seen this one before on, on some facebook group or or I've, i remember back we were at the same conference back in the days 2000 something something and then 
you come, uh, you you cr you're crossing swords again, right? In in this little um, in a little book or in a in an edited volume, and it's somehow I got the feeling these these are great times. I mean, yeah, because it's it's has become a the circle is it's it's not small, but it's a circle, you know, and you got so many contacts, and you come across them. Um, almost every, not every day but um from week to week from month to month ah i remember this guy i remember her i remember him and this is this is really uh, an important as you said significant and relevant um development going on yeah absolutely and i think i think we're we're at a really exciting time for well historical game studies in general but for medieval game studies as well and there's just been so much produced over the last well the last two decades especially but um it's it's reached the point I think where we can't really describe historical game studies as a new field. There's enough literature out there. There's enough well enough frameworks for thinking about games. We're maybe not quite a mature field, but we're we're getting to that point. We're at the point now where we really need to be engaging with with the literature in a really substantial, really extended way. And I, I think the the big thing for the next five years or so would will be the maturing of the of of the field, the conglomeration of works across different or just dis different disciplines, and ideally bringing in some more more perspectives from industry. True. Now, um, it's a it's a very very lucky it's a lucky day because I think uh, since you're not only the editor of this great volume, but you also contribute contributor in the form of two chapters. And um, I'd like to start with the first one. Its title is Playing the Investiture Contest, Modding as Historical Debate in the Undergraduate and Postgraduate Classroom. So uh, maybe we can start really simple. What does the term modding describe and how can this concept be made fruitful for educators? Brilliant. Um, yes. So yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll start. We'll start with the basic, as as you say. So modding. Modding is basically altering altering a game. So it can be changing changing the graphics, changing the pieces, perhaps at the more rudimentary level, but it can also be changing changing the rules, the mechanics, the setup, and it's play. Yes, typically it's player led. Basically, so the players. Come in. They'll change. They'll change the rules of the game. They might introduce some new graphic assets. They might change the map. They might change the scenario, and it's changing rules that I'm really interested in here, because well, as well as Chapman, as a number of authors have highlighted, Galloway and so forth, games make arguments through their rules, and historical historical games make historical arguments through their rules. So civilization is basically it's basically a giant model of human history. And obviously it's a very abstract model. Uh, we're, we're not going to get into the inaccuracy in authenticity debate, debate here, but it's it's a very different yeah, it's a very abstract model. It's an incomplete model. It's a truncated model. But it's nevertheless a holistic model. It provides an explanation for events, basically, for historical processes. And obviously, there are difficulties with civilization. There's issues around colonialism, Eurocentricism. Um, there's a very positivist, very um, a very, a, a very much an attitude that history is constant progress within the game. But nevertheless, this represents an argument. This re represents 
well, typically it represents an argument that was common in the 1980s, which was introduced into the original civilization and, and which has hung around since then. And the idea is if you change the rules, you change that argument. So if you modify the game, if you change the rules in civilization, if you make it so that technology isn't always beneficial, that there's downsides to certain elements of it, if you make it so that colonization, colonialism, is not the most effective way to rule, most effective way to get a high score, you change the argument that the game is making. And fundamentally, the idea is that by playing the game, by modding the game, and then by playing the game again, players can participate in basically a form of historical debate. And obviously, it's, it's very different from the sort of thing we, we normally do in class. It's very different from the sort of debate we see back and forth in historical, um, yeah, in, in historical research documents, whether that's journal articles, monographs, or what have you. But fundamentally, it's the same idea. And the idea behind this chapter is, well, we can use this approach. We can use modding the game to get students to explore historical arguments. So students, as I describe in, as I describe in the chapter, um, I've created a game around the investiture contest, so this conflict between Pope and Emperor. And full disclaimer here, it's, it's, a, it's a terrible game. It's not a very good game. It is, however, it's a very simple game, and it provides a nice, clear explanation for why the conflict took place. It's basically everyone lines up behind the Pope, or everyone lines up behind the Emperor. So I'll have the students who've read up about the investiture contest, who are familiar with the various historical debates surrounding the events, I'll have them play the game. And then I'll have them reflect on its shortcomings. So what are the difficulties? What, what, are, what are the problems of the map? What are the problems with the game's mechanics? Because it's all about exerting influence over the north of Italy. So how could things become more nuanced? How could arguments be made better? More importantly, what can we talk, how can we change the game mechanics to better reflect the political situation? Because... This argument that the conflict was between the Pope and the Emperor, that was just very, well, it's just these two nodes in the conflict, this is very much outdated. This is something we have to go back to the 1970s or so to really to really see in most literature. The more modern arguments go that, well, there are various different figures involved in the conflict, figures like Matilda of Canossa, the greatest landholder in northern Italy, the Archbishop of Milan, the Archbishop of Ravenna, various different dukes across the region, all of whom have got their own interests. And so I'll have the students mod the game and explore, well, how can we represent these different interests? And the idea is, well, this, yeah, they, they present their their alternative arguments. They play through the game again to judge how effectively the the rules represent their arguments. And if we have more time, we can just make this an iterative exercise, an exercise in iterative design, quietly working towards a historical argument rather than towards a necessarily better game. And I've worked on this using the investiture contest, but we can apply this to more or less any period, any theme, really, with a little bit of a little bit of thought. So some some themes are always going to be more controversial, always going to be 
more difficult to develop, but the core idea should be applicable. And I've gone with using a board game here um, rather than a computer game, partly for budgetary reasons, partly because it's it's cheaper to just print out a, an A3, an A2 map of a region, have players move plastic counters around than it is to get hold of a, a fully functioning computer room. But there's relatively little reason why we couldn't do the same sort of thing using computer games. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hmm. That's really fascinating. And it's, it, it also kind of tells me that you don't have to go actually um, counter, counterfactual history-wise in order to to uh to deepen the 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 arguments the historical arguments uh going on right that's yeah, that's very much my idea um so the counterfactual counterfactual history is a really interesting concept it's a really useful way of exploring historical forces or at least theories around historical forces but i think I think we've, we've perhaps got a tendency to get too caught up, too obsessed almost with with that idea, with that process. And I think there's there's a lot of interesting things we can do by or by looking at mechanics, by by sidelining um, sidelining the whole issue, just accepting we are not going to get historical outcomes here. But it's worth looking at what sort of thing could have been happening. In this period. Well, um, shall we go to your second chapter in your uh, book then? Uh, Beyond education and impact games as research tools and outputs, outputs, which is, and I really have to underline this, an excellent choice for the last contribution of uh, this specific volume. Um, please guide us through your thoughts and arguments here. Brilliant. Oh, thank you. Um, well, oh, thank you very much, Rudolf. Um, this was, well, to be honest with you, this initially was meant to be a brief conclusion, um, which kind of developed a bit further to look at, well, how can we use the same sorts of games, the same sorts of approaches that we've been using for teaching? How can we apply that to historical research? Because well, within some of these chapters, some of the chapters within the volume, we're looking at using games for teaching undergraduates or even postgraduates, we're looking at teaching some very advanced research skills and very advanced analysis skills. And at that point, well, with the postgraduates in particular, in essence, they're looking to develop, well, they're looking to use the exact same skills as scholarly historians are that academics are using. So if the games are useful for teaching, ultimately, why not use them for research? And don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not for a, and I, I need to have a massive disclaimer here before angry historians come come and <laughs> yeah, place my... <laughs> um, obviously, there's a massive disclaimer here. This is not 
the same sort of research, the same sort of research outputs as traditional methods, as traditional outputs. Games most expressly cannot do the same job as a monograph, as a, as a research article. But we don't need them to, because we already have monographs, we already have research articles. We don't need games, I don't think, we don't need games to really recreate that. And games have a lot of potential to go off and do something very interesting, which can still be valid academically, even if they're doing it in a very different manner and perhaps with very different means and different ends to more traditional approaches. And this is the thing, so this is this is an idea that's been talked about for some time now, um, so what some of the big names, I suppose, as um, Dawn Spring, Jeremy Clyde, Jeremy Antley, and Vinicius Marino Cavallo, as well. They, they've all talked about games as as research tools, either as for as as a method of presenting their research, or a way of conducting research. So, basically, yeah, using using game rules to present arguments and interrogating those arguments through play. And whilst putting this together, it it became apparent that there's maybe three different approaches here. So first of all, we've got the gamic mode. This is um, advocated by Jeremy Clyde and a number of his uh, well, a, a fair number of, of authors here. Um, essentially, the gamic mode of history tries to make historical games more like more like books. So the game becomes around, well, historiography gets built into the game and the games produced within this this approach, they tend to be about constructing historical arguments. So a really good example of this, actually, it's the PhD thesis of Manuel Martinez, um, it's titled Time Historians, sorry, the, the game produced in association with the thesis is titled Time Historians. And basically, it's about time traveling, time traveling historians, surprisingly enough, who travel back to travel back to ancient Egypt to to, to collect data points and use that data to construct arguments. And it's a it's a fabulous game. It's a really fascinating thesis, and I strongly strongly encourage everybody to to track that down if you're even vaguely interested in this. And this is a really brilliant game. It, it looks at how historical arguments are created. So Manuel's set up the game so you find various different pieces of evidence. You choose which pieces you want to use to create your arguments. You choose which arguments you want to create off the back of those pieces and so forth. And this is brilliant. Manuel, Manuel's basically mirrored the, the the scholarly process around history writing within a game. And there's a huge amount of potential here, but it tends to be a little bit limited because it tends to be very much focused on how to construct historical arguments, how to construct historiography, rather than the perhaps the more practical, the more um, the more constructionist methods of history. And the second the second of these approaches is I've termed it the simulacrum approach. Um, with with apologies to Andrew Elliott who is termed game well, he's, he's done done a huge amount of research on games and indeed all manner of medieval history and all manner of media. 
Um, but it's, it's referred to games as simulacrum rather than simulator, simulations. And while I, I'm, I'm not convinced the term's going to catch on here, but it, it's very useful for the chapter. Basically, with this approach, this approach takes games as a valid historical approach in and of themselves. So they accept that games are different, and they tend it, this approach tends to follow the idea that rules present just one argument, but modern rules can allow historiographical debate. So rather than have the game be about constructing historical arguments, we move the construction of historical arguments outside the game. We use the game as the medium to communicate these arguments. And this is this is a, a school I, I I tend to adhere to more strongly. Um, it's perhaps got more practical application. I feel it, it seems to tie in very neatly with a lot of a lot of the approaches we've talked about within within the volume for teaching can be applied fairly neatly to historical research. We just need to we just need to bring in some more careful use of primary secondary sources, referencing, and so forth. The final approach relates to role play, and this is this is something that's I think is pretty truly embryonic in terms of historical research. So this is in some ways it's similar similar to the simulacrum approach, but it it focuses on role play rather than rules in order to identify possible areas for research and investigation. And there's been a couple of there's a couple of very much emergent exercises around this so in particular is Edmund Hayes who's been running basically a modified version of Dungeons and Dragons a set in early medieval Egypt titled Dice on the Nile um, and he's been playing this game with a, a group of a group of medievalists, basically a group of historians who work on the period, work on work on the area in many cases, and they've stripped out magic from from the um, from the world. But essentially, it's Dungeons and Dragons. It's playing a scenario that's relevant to the period they're studying. And Edmund and his collaborators they use this as a means to engage with well, engage with history and to think of new directions for their own research for their more traditional research and um, the other the other great example here is francesco migliazzo um, and his work on the italian city states and this is very much work in progress obviously but he's been he's created a very a very detailed and what looks like an incredibly interesting game based around ruling families or rival families within the italian city states of the later middle ages and he's used this role play to experiment to look at his to look at the um, look at the historical arguments he and his well his collaborators are putting forward with regards to the Italian cities. So a huge amount of really interesting work, um, and just just to emphasise, all three of these modes, I think, all three of these methods can be hugely hugely useful. It's just they're perhaps going in different directions. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. But it's, uh, as I've said, a brilliant, a brilliant time to be doing to be doing historical game studies. Yeah, this is and and as I just uh, yeah, as I said before, this is um, this was an excellent read, really. 
um, this this article gave me a clear a, a clear understanding um, of all the of all the aforementioned three different um, directions and their different understandings of how to uh, look at the games and their the basic understanding, but also what you can then develop out of this very perspective. Yeah. Right. So. Well, thank you. Robert, well, thank you. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, sorry. So I was just going to say thank you. Um, I was just just to underline this is isn't necessarily encyclopedic, and I I fully expect to. Well, I, I very much like to have some some articles to see some articles over the next decade or so complaining about the bits that I've missed out here, um, the shortcomings and the argument. But I think we we need to start thinking about this somewhat more formally. We need to start thinking about these various different approaches. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, you're right. Um, Robert, we have taken up a lot of your time. Um, please, uh, what are you working on uh, right now? And of course, what will you be playing next? This is always the the final question of our show. Brilliant. Okay. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll take this as an opportunity to do some shameless self-advertising. Yes. Um, so, um, that my, ne my next my next edited volume is titled "Playing Playing the Middle Ages: Pitfalls and Potential in Modern Games." And um, this will be due out next year. In fact, I just had the email through almost immediately before speaking to yourself, Rudolf, um, confirming that that's that's basically been given the go-ahead beyond some time settings. But, well, thank you very much. That's brilliant. Um, so this time, yes, it's another edited volume. This time I'm looking at, well, we're, we're looking at various issues in adapting the Middle Ages to games in representations of the game um, of, of, of the medieval period within within games of all descriptions. Um, beyond that, beyond that, well, um, I've about, I'm about halfway through uh, halfway through a monograph, halfway through a big book about the Middle Ages in computer games. As I say, this is, this is the big one. This is a monograph putting together overarching theory around trends in medievalist computer games, um, talking about how this makes them different from other type, well, from games set in other periods, and how it makes, how, the, how these games present worlds that are very different from those created through other forms of medievalism. So obviously the similarities between medievalist computer games and medievalist television, reenactment and so forth, but games tend to go off in a number of very distinct directions. So I'm talking about that, I'm talking about why these tendencies emerge. Um, and this is hopeful potentially going to be the first English language monograph on the subject. And obviously I'm going to, I'm going to be leaning on Heinz's work but updating it with some of a lot of the theory that's come out since then um hopefully nuancing it and expanding it in some interesting ways and that should hopefully be out in 2024 other oh, than that sorry, oh, yeah. <laughs> sorry obviously <laughs> obviously your day has at least 50 hours <laughs> <laughs> It's I'm, magic. Well, no, it's magic. Well, I, I, I should, I should say, I'm announcing the edited volume. Like I'm, I'm responsible for all of it. No, I, I basically put together a lot of excellent work from a huge number of brilliant scholars. I, I have very little. I have very little workload in, in terms of putting things together. Um, but no, thank you. That's, that's very generous. Um, Beyond that, we have the Middle Ages in Modern Games conference over on Twitter um, coming up in June. Um, there'll be the call for papers for that coming out in, in January, so please do 
keep an eye out for that. Um, and yes, sorry, back to the important part. So there are three games that I've got my eye on um, that have <laughs> that are quietly sat in my to play pile. First of all, there's, there's Pentiment. Um, so this is the murder mystery, the beautiful murder mystery set in 16th century Bavaria, um, which looks which just looks incredible um, in terms of artistic style. And from what I've heard about the game, it's gone into a huge amount of detail trying to trying to recreate an environment of society. That, that fits really well and more than that just creating a really interesting and apparently a very moving story i've been trying to avoid too many spoilers so I, i'm trying to go into it relatively blind but that that looks that looks absolutely brilliant beyond that there's potion craft which um this is an alchemist simulator which has been strongly recommended to me by by five different people independently so i, I feel i pretty much need to have a look at this um but yes, all about all about mixing potions and perhaps some moral quandaries in there as well. And beyond that, I'm waiting very patiently for inkled in- sorry inklunati, always a mouthful there. Um, basically, fighting using beasts from medieval marginalia. So I'm, I'm hoping to see some snail jousting going on within that. But no, uh, again, it's it's a great time just to be playing games, to be honest. Yeah, and uh, funny enough, I was just um, just before we were recording the show, I was listening to um, Triple Click, the podcast of uh, Jason Schreier and his uh, lovely colleagues, and I think they were extensively talking about um, the first title you were mentioning. Um, and when it came to because their their podcast episode title was Mystery Video Games, and I think this was one of the titles they were discussing. Uh, so um, yeah. Um, If so, if everything uh, works out smoothly, we shall we shall talk again soon. I assume <laughs> that that would be that would be absolutely brilliant. Um, I will yes, I, I I will finish up the book and let you know. <laughs> Perfect. I want to thank you for being on the show today, and I really enjoyed it. So uh, take care and goodbye. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. <laughs> so, dear listeners, I hope you liked this episode. If you are an author and or an editor in the field of game studies yourself and want to talk about your latest publication, do not hesitate to contact me under rudolf.inderst at googlemail.com. Alternatively, please send me a direct message on social media. You will find me under Rudolf Inderst almost everywhere. So uh, take care and have a good one.